Raiders Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Thursday, February 11th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. The pause continues as the Flyers are hoping to return coming up on Sunday against the New York Rangers, who they would play on Sunday, then next Thursday, and then they would be in Tahoe the following Saturday, the 21st, to take on the Boston Bruins. Yeah, I know it feels weird in this condensed season to not have games every other day or not really be sure when exactly the next game is right now. It does feel a little bizarre. Um, And (laughs) as I'm sure a lot of you as well feel this way, um, I miss hockey already. (laughs) It's Look, we're in this business. You're listening to this podcast. We love the game. And uh, we can't wait for it to be back, even though the season has started. uh, Just even a pause in the activity. And so far, the Flyers have only missed one game. Uh, They would have been back at it tomorrow night against or tonight, rather, against the New Jersey Devils and uh, and Saturday against the Devils. But uh, things are in flux right now, and COVID protocols need to be adhered to, as uh, the Flyers have three players on the COVID protocol list, Travis Sanheim, Justin Braun, and Claude Giroux. Now, that does not mean that uh, any of them in particular have tested positive. It means that they're in protocol. That could also be close contact with someone who is positive or uh, they could have some exposure. So we'll, we'll see how exactly this plays out over the next couple couple of days, about 24, 48 hours, and we should have more indication exactly uh, the direction this is going for the Flyers and some of the teams that went on pause went on longer than they had hoped and some went on uh, pause for shorter than they uh, thought that they would be on a pause or, or break, if you will. But we have two parts to this episode. The first part is going to be a conversation I had with Flyers broadcaster, he's a legend, frankly, Steve Coates. And the second part, we'll answer some Twitter questions. So let's get to the first part. Here's my conversation I had yesterday afternoon with Flyers legendary broadcaster, Steve Coates. Joining us right now in this episode of Flyers Daily, as the Flyers are on a bit of a, I guess, quote, unquote, pause, is Steve Coates. Coatesy, how are you? I'm great, Chase. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um I'm enjoying the little pause, frankly, but I know that the team would rather be on the ice playing games and not dealing with COVID protocols. Uh, but a, a pause in a season like this can be a good thing from a mental standpoint, can it? Well, if you look at it uh, as a, an opportunity to regroup, um, it's interesting about what we've watched so far this uh, season where there it's kind of like a, a car that's not running on all cylinders. But yet it still runs. And it wins races. It still does everything. (laughs) And it's still winning races. It's still doing what you want it to do. So if you look at the the bright side of this, and I think there's a bright side. I think this is something to look forward to, is that once they do start playing and running on all cylinders, then I think everybody's got a lot to look forward to. I mean, we're we're running on good goaltending at times. We're running on the ability to be able to score on the rush more than I've ever seen in my life and everybody contributing when they need to contribute. And here they are among the best teams in the league. And they still, I don't think collectively really have played a good game, 60 minute game yet. You could go back to the Buffalo game. They won three, nothing, but Brian Elliott was a hero on that one. So I, I look at it and it's easy to be critical. I'm not being critical. I'm being objective to the fact we haven't seen this team back to where we saw them at this time last year where they were 
dominating and they were doing everything right. Everybody was contributing. Uh, and that's what it's all about. And that's how you be, you're, you're going to be successful in the long run. Coachy, does Elaine Vigneault's system style of play, what he's asking those players to do, is it a style that lends itself to taking a little time at the beginning of each season to rev up a little bit? It's interesting that when you look at his history, his teams always start slowly and they always come on late. Um, You would think that because the number of people we have back from last year's team that it would have taken longer for it uh, or it would have been a lot easier this year to sink in and, and proceed forward. It hasn't worked out that way. So I think that as time goes on, this hockey club really knows how good they are. So as we move forward and they become a little bit more uh, understanding of the short season and the things you got to do playing a, a, a group of people eight times in your own division, I, I think it'll be for the good. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, you're right. Like a lot of his teams, the beginnings of seasons, and look, he had some really good teams in Vancouver and, and in New York. They didn't get off the great starts, but he always had them peaking at the right time, and I guess that that is more important. But in this shortened season, Coatsy, 56 games is what's on the schedule for this year. Um, to be able to have gotten away with not playing their best game and start off with the record they have, that's a, a huge uh, accomplishment in the sense that they're not chasing the standings despite the fact that the process has not been great. It's absolutely unbelievable when you think about it. It's absolutely unbelievable. And the way they've won, um, they haven't been dominating in the offensive zone. They've struggled in the defensive zone. Um, It's absolutely unbelievable that they're at where they're at. But in saying that, I think that, this is going to be a real tough situation now as we move forward because now you're sitting out a week. The coaches, this makes the coach's job just really hard because you're going to sit out a week and then you're going to come back. You're going to get right back into the schedule. So you're basically starting from scratch again because you're going to miss a week this week. And that's hard. That's hard for anybody. So as we have seen in the last year, nobody has seen anything like this before. Nobody understands how to control it, how to to, to pre- proceed on a day-to-day basis. You're shooting, you're running by the seat of your pants right now to understand what you got to do. And the only thing you can do is try to understand and watching your team what they need, uh, both on and off the ice, and proceed forward. And it's not like we're in last place. We're looking forward to moving up. We're there. So now we have to build on that and understand what's got to happen in the, in the near future. Coach, let me ask you about an individual, a couple individual players. And I want to start off with James Van Riemsdyk because the start he's off to, and we know that James is, is a very open-minded guy in his preparation for seasons. I know he used the term the other day that he wanted to be more elastic this year, have a, that more of ability to be amenable, to move, you know, to move laterally and, and, you know, not be just a straight line player. And we've seen him, in all zones, be very good this season. The offensive zone, he's always been good there. He's been special so far there. What have you seen out of JVR that's just jumping off the page at you, leading to the success that he's having in all zones? I think we're looking at a veteran with really outstanding hockey sense. You know, when you're around the league long enough, you understand how you have to play on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes you're going to have a tough time, 
other times when it's going good and you understand and you and you're prepared and, and you're at the top of the game, then you're really really fire it. So right now JVR is firing on all cylinders. I mean when you take a look at just his ability to be able to stand in, in front of the net, redirect pucks, hand eye coordination, redirecting the puck, seeing the puck come from the point and then following it through to the net. Uh that's an art. And I said the other night, it was ironic, I said it that I think he's probably the best in the league at redirecting and, and, and touching pucks right in front of the net despite being hit and, and, and be moved around and all those different things. And then I think about two minutes later, he scored doing that very thing. Yeah. So, you know, we, for so many years, we've been very, we've been blessed before it was uh, JVR. It was Wayne Simmons. I mean, yeah. Wayne Simmons was outstanding at that, but he didn't do the same things that JVR did. They had different styles where Simmons would stand to the right of the net, moving back and forth Loved to be able to come out because he had the puck on the on the on the stick and he could come out on the right side look for that far corner. JVR is a different animal where he stands in front, he gets into the tripod position or he stands there with a stick ready to be able to to redirect the puck, eyes back to the goalie. I mean back to the defenseman. And on a couple of occasions it's been shocking to me that the fence, especially in New Jersey, I couldn't believe it. They didn't even touch him. And yeah. he just kept there redirecting the puck. They were standing at the bottom of the circle saying we're not going to worry about him. We're going to try to, to block the shot. We're going to take away the avenues. And it didn't work. And I think when you got a guy like that, and if things are going tough or they're, 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 they're having a tough time on the power play, it's a matter of, listen, just get it back to the point. Let the shot go and let him do his job. Yeah, it's amazing. That seems like a trend in the NHL right now where the big defenseman doesn't try and clear the crease. They almost say, all right, you're going to be the the screen for the goalie. The goalie's going to have to work around that, but we're going to try and take away the the lanes to feed you. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, what they're doing. Yeah. Well, what they're doing is basically saying, okay, uh, we're going to block the shot. We're going to get in the lane. We're going to block the shot. We're not going to worry about him. But that's not working. Yeah. And you'd think that during the game that they would alter their plan. Um, and they teams really haven't. Yeah. Um, and he keep, it, and he keeps burning them with it. <laughs> oh, I mean, he is so good at it. I yeah. mean, he is so good at it. And also, when you think about his ability to be able to move the puck in a short space, like I guarantee he could stick handle in a telephone booth because he's so big but at the same time has such outstanding hands and you've got to take advantage of it. And that's why when need be this year, I mean, right now he's one of the leaders in scoring in the national hockey league, one of the leaders in power play goals. I mean, that's what you got to have. You've got to have that go-to guy to score goals. Yeah. And he's been at, I mean, him and Pavelski are the two guys in the league right now that can deflect pucks like no other. Um, Pavelski, another great American player that I know he sits at the end of practice and just doesn't matter if it's an elevated shot. Doesn't matter if it's on the ice. He finds a way to put it where he wants to, deflecting it. And it's amazing how the precision they can have uh, with that part of it. Uh, Let me ask you about a couple other guys, Coatsy, because uh, we know that, you know, Oscar Lindblom and and Nolan Patrick are just coming back after, you know, different situations, but didn't play a tremendous amount of hockey to varying degrees. Uh, But uh, these are two two players that they need to get contributions from. But it is going to take a little bit of time for them to get their hockey sense back, isn't it? Oh, I think that, listen, understanding what they've both been through. It is a blessing, first of all, that we have them back in the lineup. Um, 
And when you look at the lineup and you say, okay, Oscar Lindblom, outstanding player, was our leading goal scorer prior to, you know, taking ill last year. Nolan Patrick was the number two pick. It was the number two center for us prior to, you know, having the migraine problems. So you say to yourself, okay, and on paper, this is a absolute home run. So for so many years, we had the splash here in Philadelphia where we go out and we pick up the, the Ronix and the Primos. Well, not the Primo, but he wasn't a part of the slot. He was a trade. But Ronick and Forsberg, um, I was going to say Brzgalov, but that wasn't a splash. That was a, no, <laughs> that was a, a, a belly flop. But <laughs> The the uh, those were the things the Flyers did to make sure that the fans knew and the city of Philadelphia knew that the Flyers meant business and they were going to go out what they had to do to be able to make the the team be better with an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup every year. So this year, Chuck Fletcher, he sat, he sat, and he waited, and he did the right thing because now he's got Oscar Lindblom back, he's got Nolan Patrick back. But they're not going to be where we expect them to be because you just don't take a year off and come back and play this game at this level without a time period that you're going to go through a hard time. You're going to have to work that much harder to get your legs, to get your 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 whole system, your stamina, and on the t- the timing and all the things that are necessary to play the game at a high level. And I think they're going through it right now. But when they hit it. They're going to be a big part of the long-run success of this hockey club because Limblom, we know. We haven't seen the Limblom that's probably as good as anybody working the boards behind the net. We haven't seen the Nolan Patrick that really moves the puck well and, and, and sees the ice well and feeds his wingers. All the different things you need to be successful. And I think down the road, when it happens, everybody has a different uh, time period when it all of a sudden clicks. But when it does, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Coatsy, defensively, this team, they've had guys in and out of the lineup. Uh, Phil Myers was out for an extended period of time. He returned and went back out for a game and and set to return again. Uh, Travis Sanheim is now on COVID protocol. uh, But, uh, you know, you lose Matt Niskanen already and using uh, Shane Gossespierre on that top pairing at at times with with Ivan Provorov and Justin Braun. And you've been in and out of the lineup with Robert Haig or Robert Gustafson. Uh, when you look at the D overall, um, what do they got to do to be better, or do they need help um, by way of a move? That's an interesting question. Um, when you take a look at them individually, Provorov's Provorov. He's going to be the same guy going up and down every night. He's going to run he's logged 25 minutes, and you know what you got with Ivan Provorov. So now all of a sudden, due to injuries and all the different things that are happening, you have to move Shane Gossespear up into that slot. It was talked about during the offseason, but nobody really dreamt it was going to happen this quickly because there was other people in front. So you got Gossespear with this as, a, I think, a second opportunity. I mean, he didn't play well last year. He had injury problems. Uh, he hasn't scored a, a power play point in an awful long time. Uh, and that was his real forte. There wasn't a lot of people that were in the league that were better than standing as the quarterback on your power play to be able to move the puck, get the big shot from the point, all the different things that are important. But now he's into this position, and think about this. You don't play for an awful long time. 
Then you come back, you're injury free and you get COVID. So now you're sitting and you're now losing that time period to keep yourself in the shape that you've got to be. And you can work out, you can do all those things, but you're not still in hockey shape. So now you got two things going in your audition. Now you're not only playing on the, on the in the lineup, now you're playing with Provorov. And you have an opportunity to do a great thing. And don't think for a second, as long as the ghost has been in the league, you got to have some nerves there. You got to have nerves. There's yep. going to be mistakes. But in the long run, hopefully, he can fill that position because are you going to take and fill the, the spot that Niskanen took? No. I mean, Niskanen was a, a guy that had won a Stanley Cup, veteran of the National Hockey League, held Provorov, did all the right things at both ends of the ice. I mean, just a solid veteran defenseman. And you just don't go down to the, uh, the grocery store and pick those off the shelf. So for when he retired, that was a, that was a tough thing for the, the hockey club. And you figure you're really deep defensively, but then all of a sudden you got this situation. Now, all of a sudden you're altering everybody. Now, I was really happy that we kept Myers and Sanheim together because that's a solid group. And hopefully they can stay healthy and get back together. Braun, he's just a, a, a really good stay-at-home defenseman. Doesn't do anything flashy. Takes the body. Does the things you want for a six. Robert Higgs heads up and downs. He still brings the ability to be able to, to, to take the body uh, and all the things you need back there to upset the forwards coming into your zone with a little physicality. So the defense, with all the veteran guys you got back there, it's not as much as sometimes how you play individually, it's how you play as a group. And as a group, including the forwards, they have not done a very good job in their own zone. And when that happens, and when they do, then all of a sudden you see a little bit of a difference. They've been losing games uh, even despite that. But everybody has a position. Everybody has a job to do in your own zone. And the forwards have to be a part of that five at, in your own zone. And at times you'll see, well, the opponent is out, uh, outnumbering your own zone, especially below the goal line. Like we've seen teams that use the back of the net Boston does it better than anybody. Mm -hmm. You got a trouble, fire the puck behind the net. You got, uh, you're facing the wrong way, put the puck behind the net. Because they're, no, they're going to know somebody's there. So it's very important that your defense is uh, understanding that. And the center, the center plays a huge part in the defensive scheme because he's got to go back and help the defense when the opponent is back there with more people than you have. That is so, if you get outnumbered back there, you got a big trouble. So what I'm basically saying is that as soon as you have a breakdown in your own zone as five and you're playing good teams like Boston, you're going to have a problem. So that's all part of the, uh, let's say, uh, getting together and being on the same page. Just because you've been here before, just because you're a veteran, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get back into the swing of things. And I think that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's a really good point, absolutely. Uh, Coatsy, last thing for you. Maybe the most impressive thing about this start is that the Flyers have an 8-3-2 record through 13 games, and they've had Sean Couturier for two games and two shifts. <laughs> I mean, the difference that you don't just – it's it's so easy in sports to say next man up, right? And and we get it. That's that's cliche, and, yeah, there is there has to be somebody to step up and, and fill that spot. But there's nobody that you can put in that lineup, 
that checks the boxes that Sean Couturier checks, from penalty kill to power play, point per game forward, shuts down the other lines, the other team's top line, and outscores that top line, and it does all those little things, face-offs. There's just nobody that you can put in the lineup that fills that role and checks all those boxes. So to be where they are, when you've only had them for two games and two shifts of that second Penguin game, uh, is probably the most amazing thing about this start. It really is. And let's go back. You've taken Niskin out of the lineup, and then right off the get-go, you have Katuri out of the lineup, which really leads to the way they played because you can't fill that void. Yep. You just said it. I mean, Couturier, his father was a pro hockey player, and uh, he was definitely taught how to play the game at both ends of the ice. And you don't replace people like that. You might come close, but look, he comes right back in the lineup. They put him on the fourth line. He's part of the game. He's part of the offense. Scores a goal. Uh, You can't fill those skates. But at the same time, uh, you you got to learn from not having a guy out of there. People have to step it up. But Sean Couturier is the best defensive forward right now in the National Hockey League, and deservingly so. And uh, he's the kind of guy that you need to be able to check the opponent's number one line. I mean, I don't think there's anybody better than going below the goal line as a centerman and doing the work that's needed to do to get the puck out and get it out and move it the other way. He does so many great things, and something that's very important that he just brought brought up. Five on five, he's there. Killing penalties, he's there. Plays the power play, he's there. And he's good at all of them. So going back to what you know, we just talked about, I mean, we've got a lot of most valuable players, but he probably is right there at the top. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the effect on – look at that third period of that game, uh, the last game they played. And that's the effect Sean Couturier has on the lineup right there. Playing you got to shut him down. Yep, gotta, absolutely. And good teams, like we've had a lot of problems in the third period where teams have come back. And that's the difference between the, 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 the really good teams and the so-so teams. The teams that understand what they've got to do um, with the time that's left on the ice. I've always said it's called team, TPS, time, play, score. According to what the time in the game is, where the puck is, and what the score is, will indicate what you have to do. If you have five people on the ice, they understand the rules of engagement as far as time, place, score, you're not going to get beat very often. Oh, yeah, you might play against some teams that are a little bit more uh, creative, more skilled in that situation. But if you got that, where five guys are on the ice, five minutes to go, you got a one-goal lead, Time, play, score. I'll take five guys that know where they're going against anybody 90% of the time. Yep, absolutely. Well said. Coatsy, hey, thanks for doing this. Um, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll be uh, looking out for you whenever we get started again. Hopefully that is on Sunday against the Rangers, and then uh, a couple Sunday and Thursday against the Rangers, then uh, the game from Tahoe against the Bruins again. So appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll talk soon. Is there a gift or something, Jason, or is this just it? There's a watch in the mail. Oh, that's my, I need a new watch. That's very nice of you. Well, you're very timely. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) See you later, Jason. Thanks, my man. Thanks to Coatsy for jumping on and joining us. Um, One of the great things about the job that I have had in the 15 years uh, working on Flyer Broadcasts is getting to know Steve Coates. And 
I know before I worked with Coatsy, I had an impression of Coatsy. And after I got to work and all these years later knowing Steve Coates, my impression of what Steve Coates was all about was exactly what Steve Coates is all about. Very genuine guy and uh, one of the funniest guys uh, you ever have the sh- uh, chance to share a room with if, if you do so. And don't golf with him because you cannot concentrate on any single shot. He will make you laugh the entire 18 holes and the entire round of golf. So thanks to Coatsy for joining us. But let's get to some questions uh, from Twitter. I put out a solicitation on at Jason Mert, and here are us a few of those questions. Let's start with Peter Giordano. He says, hey, Jason, at this point of the season, do you think the Flyers have all the pieces to go far in the playoffs, or do you think they need to make a move at the deadline? And if so, for what position? Um, based on what I've seen so far, Peter, this season, um, I don't feel like they have all the pieces to go on a long run because I have a big question mark. And the question mark to me is still your top pairing right side, right shot defenseman. I've seen different guys in that role, um, from Shane Gostisbehere to Justin Braun to Phil Myers um, when he was healthy before before his injury. Um, I've seen Travis Sanheim in that role when Phil Myers was out, and they wanted to, to put Sanheim alongside uh, Ivan Provorov. Um, so I, I don't see a solution there yet that makes me feel like they're a better defensive core than they were last year with Matt Niskin and out. Maybe Matt Niskin comes back. I doubt it. I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, but I, I can't make that assessment that I think that they have all the pieces to go on a long run, longer run than they did last year um, until I have more information about that in particular position. Because it's such an important position. It's not an easy one to fill. When Matt Niskanen retired, we all wish Matt Niskanen well and we respect his decision, but it left the Flyers with a really big hole and not an easy one to fill. You're talking about a defenseman that plays with a younger top-pairing defenseman, so you'd prefer a veteran guy. And you would also need a right-shot, right-side defender that's going to play 24-plus minutes a night against the best lines in hockey. It's just not an easy position to fill. Um, so if they were to make a trade, it would be for a defenseman, either a top-four defenseman or a top-pairing. If I knew at that deadline that Phil Myers was the right guy to put alongside Ivan Provorov on that top pair, then I could grab a top four pairing defenseman and play him on that second pairing with Travis Sanheim. And the reason I don't put Sanheim in that top pairing role is because he's also a left shot and I'd like to have a right shot and Phil Myers is a right shot. So it's nothing against Travis Sanheim and the player that he is. It's more that he's a left shot and so is Ivan Provorov. So uh, that, that would be my answer. That was a long answer, Peter, but that's my answer. Uh, RJ Smiley tweets and he says, Hey Jason, in your opinion, who of our current lineup do you think will have, have to be moved on from in the next two to three years, and what is your 23-24 opening night roster using our current farm system? Oh, man, that is a hard question. Look, RJ, I really can't prognosticate in two or three years in a flat cap world. That's really hard to do because I don't know when the cap is going to start going up. I don't know what the effect of a new TV deal is in the United States is going to be. I don't even know who's going to have that deal yet. Is it going to be USA Network and another shared network? I'm not sure. And I don't know what that deal looks like, and I don't know what the the effect of the Seattle Kraken is going to be. I hope there's fans this season 
at some point, let alone next season in total. So it's really hard for me to prognosticate that. There's a few players, obviously, though, to answer your question, that I feel like will be a part of your core. Guys like Nolan Patrick, Travis Konechny, Sanheim, Myers, Ivan Provorov, Carter Hart. I mean, you're talking in two or three years, um, those are all players that will be in their prime. Sean Couturier will still be uh, in his prime years. Kevin Hayes will still be here. Uh, so those are some of the players. But And you're hoping, obviously, guys like Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee, who is already here and doing really well. Um, guys like uh, Cam York will be here, Igor Zamula and others. So Bobby Brink, there's a lot of guys. So it's it's hard for me to prognosticate that. And for just me, RJ, I'm more of a what's right in front of me. Um, to prognosticate that far down the road with an expansion draft and a flat cap and all that's really difficult to do. But thanks for the question. Uh, Kristen Junta says, not uh, that this has much to do with the team right now, but who do you see the Flyers losing during the expansion draft this offseason? I got to ask this on a podcast I was on earlier, too. Um, At one point, you know, everybody kind of wanted JVR to be the guy that was taken. And his play, frankly, is probably made it more likely, (laughs) playing really well. But I think the guy that you're really in danger of losing is a guy I don't want to lose, but um, is Scott Lawton. Uh, Looking at the general manager in Seattle, being Ron Francis, knowing the way Ron Francis values certain elements of the game, I think that Scott Lawton would be a Ron Francis kind of guy. So extremely uh, versatile, can play center wing, kill penalties, uh, That that's the kind of guy that Ron Francis, I think, would, would look for. So we'll have to see if that's who he goes towards how, and when he's building his team. Uh, but that's a guy that I would fear losing for the Flyers in, in Scott Lawton. All right, Tyler Golden tweets, and he says, with Carter Hart near the top of the league in shots against per game, do you worry about him wearing down if this pace continues, or can he use them to stay sharp? Uh, he says it seems like the Flyers, whomever the Flyers play, are not just getting more shots on goal, but more good opportunities, and Hart has been coming up big. Uh, in the beginning of the year, the Flyers were giving up an alarming amount of high-danger chances. In the last three or four games, they have not, and they've actually gotten more than they've given up. Um, so that's that's part of it. As far as Carter Hart wearing down um, because of the amount of shots he's getting per game, Look, he's, they're getting outshot, but he's not seeing 40, 45 shots a night. So the, the number that he's giving up is more than they're getting, yes, but it's not an inordinate amount that I would worry about that. And I think, you know, Brian Elliott was supposed to start in the game on Tuesday against the Washington Capitals that eventually got postponed. I, I think the Flyers are looking at all angles of rest and how to parcel uh, goaltenders, players, everyone's energy during this condensed season. So I, I think that part of it is also, you know, the use of Brian Elliott, who's a very capable backout, capable of giving you quality starts, however much you use him. And he's a guy too, you know, an older guy that you don't want to give a ton of time to, Brian Brian Elliott. But no, I, I don't worry about that. And I think that the one game, the Saturday night game, where Carter Hart had back spasms and left the morning skate early and didn't dress for the game that Brian Elliott played and Alex Lyon backed up, I have my suspicions that yeah, he may have had some back spasms, 
But he also, they also may have said, you know, if you're not playing tonight, why even dress? Take the whole day off. That's more higher quality rest than him dressing for the game, going through warm-ups, sitting on the bench. Teams are doing that in the NHL right now where their backup goaltender is not even dressing for the games in this condensed shortened season. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that that could have been in play as well. Uh, Tyler Thurlow tweets in. He says, the Flyers have two close losses to the Bruins and two blowouts. Uh, the Bruins have had the Flyers' number this season so far. What changed, and do the Flyers need to make their game? Uh, what change? What changes do the Flyers need to make to their game plan against the Bees? Yeah, last year the Flyers went 3-0-1 against the Bruins. This year they're 0-2-2, and as you mentioned, Obviously, a shootout loss and an overtime loss, and then two games where they were, uh, well, one game they were beat 6-1, to one, the other game they lost 2-1, to one. so there's only one blowout in there. But that being said, um, you know, against the Bruins this year, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't able to clamp down in the first game where they had a, a two-goal lead going into the third period. That one ultimately went to overtime and then a shootout that they lost. And then the 2-1 game that they lost at the Wells Fargo Center, that, to me, is a game that was probably their best game of the season. Even though they lost it, that was their best hockey game from a process standpoint and a detail standpoint. They just lost a game. Uh, so what changes did they need to make? Well, the one game they should have won, they were up you know, 3-1 to one in the third period. Then they had three undisciplined penalties and put the Bruins on the power play three times in the final eight minutes. So if you want to make a change, yeah, just don't let that happen. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't let a team. Str- don't put a team's strength in position to beat you because that's what they did on that occasion. And if they wouldn't have done that, uh, it would be a far different story. Um, Bill Leonard tweets in: "Hi, Jason. Will the Flyers' downtime allow them to do some video work with the players on their special teams play? Absolutely. Yeah, it does give them the opportunity to do stuff like that and look at tape and, and be able to break things down for sure." Colin Berger says: "One, do you expect any movement at the deadline?" He said, I don't see a glaring need at the moment. And two, any plans for the NHL to follow college football and adjust games when common opponents are in COVID protocols? So, number one, uh, I don't know what the deadline is going to look like. I asked Chuck Fletcher about this when he was on last week. I I don't know if there's going to be a lot of movement at the deadline or if there's going to be very limited movement at the deadline. When you're talking about teams making moves in a flat cap world, and also heading into an expansion draft. Because you don't want to give up anything worth anything to get a player that you can't protect. So, for example, if the Flyers wanted to to make a, a, a splashy trade and include Cam York in the deal. Cam York, uh, a draft pick for player X from winger from such and such team or top pairing defenseman. Then all of a sudden you can't protect that player and you go into the expansion draft, and he's plucked. Well, not only do you not have the player that you traded for, you don't have Cam York and the draft pick, and you have nothing to show for it because you couldn't protect the player. So that's that's another part of the equation. Um, as he said, Colin, I don't see a glaring need at the moment. Uh, I don't see a glaring need, not when you have a record of 8-3-2 and two or whatever the record is, um, but they have a need to me defensively. And then he says, any plans for NHL to follow college football and adjust the games when common opponents are in COVID protocol? I, I don't know if they're going to do that. That It would have made sense that the Flyers wouldn't have went into it this week with the New Jersey cancellations and also 
the, the Washington was canceled. The, the Capitals were canceled against the Sabres. They could have just played each other. But that went out the window when the Flyers uh, entered COVID protocol. Uh, Tristan Ritarelli tweets in. He says, once everyone is back healthy, what do you think about making Cooch, G, and TK a line again? That line's had a lot of success in the past. Do you think it's something worth a shot to help spark TK and G out more too? Well, I think Claude Drew's played fine. Um, he's just under a point-per-game player so far this year. He's had some games where he's been better than others, but I think he's been fine. I think Travis needs a, a little bit of help right now, and there's no better two players to put him with, uh, first of all, than a play-driving center that's incredibly defensively responsible and a winger that was a center for 95%, 98% of his NHL career and was also a great 200-foot player in Claude Giroux. And both can make make magic at the offensive end as well. So I think that would be a great idea. It would be something I would absolutely consider doing. Um, East Van Philly says, any word if the NHL will go to a winning percentage format for the playoffs as opposed to points earned if there continues to be COVID outbreaks and the schedule is thrown off? Well, they, they were prepared for the schedule to be disrupted. And they have a little bit of a buffer built in at the end of the regular season before they get to the playoffs. But if, if it continues and it gets to a point that's uh, untenable East Van Philly, then yes, they could do that. They could also shorten the amount of games they play. They could say, hey, we planned on playing 56. We're only going to play 50. We'll get each team to 50, and we'll go from there. So th- there's different – they have scenarios for all of this stuff and all of these different um, – you know, situations and what could happen and what can happen and what they can do about it. Uh, they definitely have those all prepared ad nauseum. Uh, last question comes from at Atlantic's Pity. Uh, Gritty's dad is what his handle says. He says, what's going on in Columbus? Anyway, Line A pulls the Jeff Carter move and gets sent to a contender if things get worse. No, I don't think so. Um, for those that don't know, you know, Patrick Line was obviously traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets from the Winnipeg Jets for Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, and he has already been benched in a game. He got sat down for the, I think it was about the final eight minutes of a game. Um, Tortorella sat him down, but Lyonnais comments were, hey, I deserve to be benched. I wasn't doing the right things. And he said it's kind of refreshing, basically, to know that any player, if they don't play the right way, can get benched here. And he looked at it as a good thing. Plus, I, it wouldn't a player like Line A, you can't pull the move twice. You can't pull the I need to be traded out of here because I don't like my situation in Winnipeg. I don't. I want to be traded out of Columbus because I don't like my situation there. You can't do that twice before the age of 23 years old. Jeff Carter did it once. He got there. He didn't like being in Columbus, and he got taken, you know, shipped off to to L.A. He didn't ask to be traded from the Flyers. Line A wanted out of Winnipeg. If he wants out of Columbus now, too, then you're going to have a situation where teams' major red flags go up, and they're not going to want to invest in a player. So I don't think that'll happen. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Steve Coates for joining. Thanks to everybody who tweeted in. We'll be back tomorrow with another brand-new episode of Flyers Daily. She turned away.